Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. A predominantly Roman Catholic neighborhood was up in arms when a Southern Baptist moved onto the block and started grilling steaks on Friday afternoon. Of course, on Fridays, good Catholics avoid beef and they eat fish. Well, the aroma of the steaks grilling in the open air sort of wafted through the neighborhood and tantalized the residents. The temptation was driving the Catholics bonkers. Well, one Sunday at Mass, the Catholic neighbors got together and they came up with a plan to convert the Southern Baptist barbecuer. For weeks, they worked on this guy until finally he agreed to become a Catholic. Well, they took him to the priest to be baptized into the Catholic Church. The priest sprinkled him with the baptismal water. And he said, you were born a Baptist, you were raised a Baptist, and now you're a Catholic. Well, the neighbors were glad that from then on, Every Friday, they wouldn't be tempted with the aroma of this Southern Baptist grilling delicious smelling steaks. Yet the very next Friday, the same smell of sizzling beef was all over the neighborhood. And here, and, they, and so they immediately ran to the Baptist house. They wanted to know what was going on. And there he was, standing over the grill, sprinkling water and saying, you were born a cow, you were raised a cow, and now you're a fish. (laughs) The story illustrates an obvious truth. Water baptism doesn't change the nature of what's being baptized. You can dunk a sinner in baptismal water until their fingertips prune, but their inner nature will stay unaltered. The point is, it takes more than religion to change a person on the deepest level. Water baptism or religious exercises or charitable deeds or self-imposed sacrifices are powerless to alter a person's true nature. You can clean the outside, but the problem still brews on the inside. There are all kinds of ways that people seek to improve the outer person, the flesh. People alter their bodies by going on a diet or by working out, or by changing their hair color. They alter their psyche with motivational techniques, or self-help formulas, or psychological therapies. And if they're concerned about God, they might even get baptized, or come to church, or read their Bibles, or do some kind deed. All this makes them look or feel better. But it doesn't impact that person on the deepest level. It doesn't affect them spiritually. And the spiritual you is the real you. It's the eternal part of who you are. 
Only Jesus Christ can transform your underlying nature. He alone can change who you really are. We learned last week that by faith, our old man was crucified with Christ. Our connection to Christ has made us both dead to sin and alive to God. Once it was a five-year-old boy, he prayed with his mom to become a Christian. He asked for God's forgiveness, and he gave his life to Jesus. That Sunday, the family went to church where they heard a man share his testimony. And it was quite a story. This man had lived a very wicked life before he was miraculously saved, snatched from the darkness into the light. But when the boy got home, while still thinking about the amazing testimony he had heard, he asked his mother, Mom, what did I used to do when I was wicked? You know, it's easy for us to see the sin of a bank robber or a drug dealer. But the Bible teaches that the very same impulses lurk in the heart of a five-year-old child. Job 5 tells us man is born in trouble. We're all born in sin. Every human being is a sinner by nature. We're all selfish from the start. As I quoted last time, at the heart of our problem is the problem in our heart. And only Jesus can change a person's heart. See, Christianity is more than just steps and rules and laws and rituals. It's more than morality. Christianity is more than reformation. It's a transformation. God's power changes us on the deepest level. He alters our very nature. And Romans 6 explains God's plan to save us from our fallen sinful state. Christians are nailed to the cross with Jesus And we rise from the dead with Jesus in Christ. We are dead to sin and alive to God. And that's the title of our series, Dead and Alive. An incredible transformation happens when a person becomes a Christian. At the core of their being, they become something new and different. Jesus called it born again. The Bible calls us new creations. A Christian differs from the neighbors. We're a new type of human being. We're redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Romans 6 explains that we've been baptized into Christ, and as a result, we're now part of his death and resurrection. As we read last week in verse 3, Paul wrote, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Remember, the baptism that Paul refers to in Romans chapter 6 isn't water baptism. It's a spiritual baptism. In response to our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit grafts us into Christ. We become a part of Christ. We're tied to his triumph and his destiny. We're baptized into Christ in the sense of being initiated into him and into all his many blessings. Though Paul is talking about a spiritual dynamic here, water baptism does though paint a symbolic picture of spiritual baptism. For both speak of a rite of passage. You know, water baptism harkens back to the dramatic changes that occurred in the national life of Israel. 
at the Red Sea and at the Jordan River. You remember in both cases, God rolled back the waters and the people passed through the waters to a new life. When the Israelites exited Egypt, they passed through the waters of the Red Sea. They entered the sea as slaves, but they exited on the other side as free men. The next big step in their national life came when they passed through the Jordan River. They came to the bank, a group of wanderers, and as they walked through the riverbed, in essence, they were coming home. Thus, baptism as a rite of passage is symbolic of a new identity and a new freedom and a new belonging. It's about putting the old behind and starting over afresh. And this is certainly true of the spiritual baptism Paul is discussing here in Romans 6. When you become one with Jesus Christ, an important passage occurs. You pass from death to life, from darkness to light, from slavery to freedom, from guilty to righteous, from wandering to coming home, from orphan child to child of God. And as his child, you become a recipient of all that Jesus has acquired and accomplished. When Jesus died to sin, you died with him. When he rose to new life, you rose with him. We are now dead to sin and alive to God. In the old westerns, the bad guys were wanted dead or alive. But Jesus seeks out bad guys like you and me and vows to bring us back dead and alive. We're dead to sin and alive to God. Again, as a Christian, you're a new person. You know, Ephesians 2 tells us that without Christ, we were dead in sin. But Romans 6 teaches us that in Christ, we are dead to sin. In other words, sin sin loses its grip on the Christian. In Christ, the power of sin gets broken. Sin no longer has a stranglehold on a follower of Jesus. It doesn't dominate our decisions and our direction. Verse 7 says it best, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Of course, we don't always feel dead to sin, do we? At times, we feel very alive to sin. I mean, you're driving to work on a Monday morning, and then some knuckle-headed driver cuts you off, almost side-swipes your car. You shout out a few choice words. Dead to sin is not exactly your reaction at that moment. Or maybe you're watching football on a Sunday afternoon when the camera cuts over to the semi-nude cheerleaders prancing around over there. Suddenly, you no longer feel dead to sin, do you? There's a cartoon. It portrays a lady's Bible study. And the topic is Romans chapter 6. One of the ladies is trying to be honest with the group. She says, well, I haven't actually died to sin, but I did feel kind of faint once. You, You might be thinking something similar. Man, I've run from sin, I've wrestled with sin, I've struggled with sin, but dead to sin? That's a bit of a stretch. Even now you feel very alive to tempting desires and to sinful thoughts. So here's the million dollar question. If I died to sin when I converted to Jesus, then why do I still sin today? And why do I continue to feel this pull of sin? Well, the answer is in verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Now let's break this down. I want you to notice first, Paul mentions two pockets 
are two sources of sin in our lives. He talks about our old man and he talks about the body of sin. The two are very different. You know, last week we talked about Paul's understanding of our human composition. He sees people in two parts. The theologians refer to this thinking as a dichotomy. Humans consist as a spiritual part and as a physical part. We're eternal and we're temporal. There's an inner man that lives forever, and there's an outer man that returns to dust. Here's an illustration for you. My kids used to love Oreo cookies. They loved Oreos. But they liked the sweet, creamy centers a lot more than they liked the chocolate cookie outsides. I had one of my children who would twist apart the cookies, lick off the icing, and then put the cookies back into the package. So that whenever I got a craving for Oreos, I'd pull out the package and all that were left were the outsides. Well, think of me as an Oreo. The outer man. The Bible calls it the flesh. The part of me that will go back to dust when I die. This is the cookie part. It includes muscle and skin and hair and blood and organs and glands and gray matter. It's the part of me that will stay in the grave when I die. In other words, it's the part of the Oreo that gets put back into the package. But is that all there is to an Oreo? Of course not. The cookie isn't even the best part. No, that sweet, creamy inside is the tasty part of the Oreo. And likewise, the most valuable part of a human is the inner person. When you came to Jesus, what changed? The outer man or the inner man? Obviously, it was the inner man. The day before I became a Christian, I was six foot two, had brown hair, blue eyes, and was dashingly handsome. The day after I became a Christian, I was six foot two, brown hair, blue eyes, and now humbly handsome. The colossal transformation Christianity promises occurs not in the outer man, but in the deepest part of the person. My spirit is nailed to the cross with Christ. And with Christ, I walk out of the tomb with new life. Here's a critical truth. What a person beco- when a person becomes a Christian, God doesn't just add to their life. His love and peace and power and joy. He also subtracts from their life. We're told he eradicates the old. God crucifies our sin nature. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 puts it. Old things have passed away. And for years, this is what I missed. I knew when I was saved, Jesus entered my life and brought with him his many blessings. But I thought the old nature remained to slug it out with the new nature. I was taught by well-meaning but mistaken teachers that nothing died at my salvation, that my sin nature stayed side by side with God's new nature. The net result was two natures in one person competing for control. This meant it was up to me to now deny the old and yield to the new. It was my work. It was my responsibility. And through moment-by-moment submission, I would be able to put to death the old man slowly and gradually. Of course, this leaves the Christian as kind of a spiritual schizophrenic. 
a split personality. Part of me is evil and part of me is good. I'm torn between the two. Here's an illustration you've probably heard. Two dogs are living in your heart. There's a good dog and there's a bad dog. And the dog that you feed the most is the dog that grows the strongest and takes control. But that's not biblical. You're not a doghouse with two dogs. According to Romans chapter 6, the old dog died. He's dead, and the new dog now gets run of the house. Verse 6 says it best, the old man was crucified with Christ. The part of me governed and dominated by sin was crucified and is now as dead as a doorknob. Notice the solution for the old man is not starvation. You don't starve him to death. He doesn't die a long, slow, agonizing death. He gets crucified with Christ. And the word crucified is in the past tense. See, dealing with the old man is not an action we have to take. It was done for us by Jesus on the cross. Again, look at verses 2 and 7. It's not that we're dying to sin. It's not a process that we're going through. It's that we died to sin. It's finished. It's over. It's past tense. It's a done deal. A Christian's sin nature was nailed to the cross. But you ask... Well, why do I still sin? Our problem is the flesh. It's this outer person. It's the cookie, you might say. What's referred to in verse 6 as the body of sin. See, there is a part of me that didn't change when I was saved. The body of sin retains the memories of sin and sinful reactions and sinful thoughts and sinful habits. I still know how to sin. It also includes sin's rationales and excuses. See, before I became a Christian, I spent 20 years programming my mind to think sinful thoughts. I taught my hands to do sinful stuff. When I opened my mouth, I spoke sinful words. My feet ran to sinful places. My emotions reacted in sinful ways. And I didn't forget about it all when I came to Jesus. Old habits die hard. Have you ever made the mistake of waking up at 6 o'clock on a Saturday Saturday morning thinking it was a weekday and got ready, started heading off to work? We've all done that at times. Our autopilot can betray us. I used to drive a stick shift, but Kathy's car wasn't automatic, so whenever I drove her car, I'd find myself reaching for the shifter that didn't exist. Hey, some actions take time to stop even when the reason for those actions no longer exists. And this is what happens to a Christian. Deep inside, I'm a new person, but my feelings and thoughts and emotions have been conditioned to act and react in sinful ways. Again, old habits die hard, and especially under pressure. Oh, it's easier to revert back to an old habit, just sort of fall back into what you know than it is to cultivate new habits and new patterns. A new creation needs to form new habits and build a new life. And you see, there's another problem. I live in a world that bombards me 24-7 with sinful suggestions. Well, I read my Bible and I come to church and I learn a new way of looking at life. But starting on Monday, I'm pressed back into the mold of this world. I'm reminded of what I used to be, how I used to live. We've got to stop listening to the world. 
and to all its advertisements. And we need to recalibrate our feelings and our thoughts and our assumptions so they line up with our life in Christ. In the inner man, I've been transformed. In the deepest part of me, I no longer want to sin. And if you can't say that, you're probably not a Christian. The power of sin is broken. Sin no longer reigns in our life. But that doesn't mean that sin won't be present. For as long as we're in these bodies, the flesh, we wrestle with sin. We're subject to sinful thoughts and impulses and reactions. And we have to train the outer man to live in harmony with this inner man that's been transformed. It's a process, but it's a doable process. Romans 12 verse 2 encourages us, Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within. So here's the Christian dilemma. The inner man is pure and perfect, in love with God. But the flesh, the body of sin, as Paul puts it, is susceptible to evil and to temptation. The Philadelphia baseball team has a mascot called the Philly Fanatic. On the outside, he's a green, furry monster with a long, ugly snout. And he does crazy stuff. He rides his motorcycle around the field. He taunts opposing teams. He incites the crowd. He is a real fanatic. But when you see him on television, remember the exterior is just a costume. There's an actual person on the inside making a six-figure salary, by the way. And, of course, the person on the inside is the real person. And the same is true with me. At times, I get green with envy. I reveal a monster-like temper. I do crazy stuff. But that's not the real me. Like the fanatic, the real Sandy Adams is under the fuzzy exterior. The spiritual part of me is pure and clean and holy in God's sight. I'm in Christ. I'm a new creation. See, the first step in reprogramming the outer man to act in harmony with the inner man is to know, to really know, to become wedded to this idea that I'm no longer the same person, that the old man has been crucified with Christ and the real me is now dead to sin. See, I'm dead and alive. I love verse 6. Paul says, knowing this. Do you know that you know? You see, to experience victory over sin and to walk in God's presence and power, there is a truth that you need to know. You've heard ignorance is bliss. That's not true when you're ignorant of verse 6. Our old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with. This is the big truth that you need to live with if you want to walk in victory. Do you know that in a mysterious and spiritual way, you were crucified with Christ on Calvary's cross? Here's what derailed my Christianity for years. I failed to grasp my identity in Christ. I didn't really understand the transformation I'd experienced. Well, I knew I was new on the inside, but I kept falling back into my old ways. I could never decide where I truly belonged. Was I a sinner at heart trying to become a saint? Or was I a saint at heart learning how not to sin? And it makes an enormous difference. It's been said, identity determines behavior. 
It's a truth. How I see myself shapes how I live my life. Proverbs 23 verse 7 puts it like this. As a person thinks in his heart, so is he. I have a friend of mine. She'll probably be here the second service. She was going through an intense time of temptation. She was a new believer, and she had an old friend who had resurfaced in her life. He was trying to suck her back into her old lifestyle, and she was so distraught. One night, she jumped into her car, and she started to drive. Later, she said she didn't know why, but she just pulled into a graveyard. And there, her headlights hit a tombstone. And to her amazement, the name carved on the tombstone was her last name. The Lord reminded her that she was not the same person, that the old man was dead and gone, that she was a new creation. Her name on that tombstone encouraged her in her faith and helped her to say no to temptation. See, this is the result when we know that we know, when we truly believe. Confidence in our spiritual identity causes strength to rise up from within. Rather than try to be something you don't think you are, which is one of the hardest things in the world to do, a Christian's goal is to know who we are, then live like it in the light of that truth. In verse 11, Paul reiterates this point. Reckon yourselves. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Which proves once and for all that Paul is a southerner. He uses the word, well, I reckon so. Of course, the way Paul uses this term is not how a southerner uses it. Ask me if it'll rain tomorrow, and I'll respond, well, I reckon so. But really, I'm saying, I guess so, or it might, or I hope it will. But if Paul said, I reckon it's going to rain tomorrow, he's going to take an umbrella with him. He really believes it. The Greek word translated reckon means to consider it so, or to treat it as if it's true. See, when Paul tells us to reckon ourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God, he's saying, consider it a done deal and act accordingly. Learn to see yourself in Christ. Hey, God wants you and me to change the way we see ourselves. Don't just see yourself as a sinner struggling to stay pure. See yourself as a victorious saint. And this isn't just mental gymnastics or the power of positive thinking. Paul isn't telling us to think into existence something that's not true. Considering it so doesn't make it so. We consider it so because it is so. The real you is indeed dead and alive. You are spotless on the inside. You've been given a new nature that's in tune with God, always desiring what He desires, a nature that loves God and loves others. You see, this is what John meant in 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, when he said this, Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. When you become a Christian, the inner man is pure and fit for God's presence. Realize, nothing else needs to happen for you to get ready for heaven, other than what Jesus has already done for you on the cross and in your heart. In Romans 7, verse 17, Paul makes one of the most incredible statements in all of the Bible. He says of his sin, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Wow. Paul says that when he sins, it's not the real Paul 
that's sinning. Oh, he's responsible for his sin, but as a Christian, it doesn't originate from the deepest part of his person. It's his flesh. It's the outer man, not the inner man. See, to reckon it so is to learn to see ourselves as God sees us. Realize the image that you see in the mirror is not the real you. The person that all your friends remember is not the real you. The guy who rebelled against God and all things godly is no longer the real you. Today, your impulses to sin are merely leftovers from the past, and you need to shake them off now and move forward. They're not the real you. Your connection to Christ means the real you is now a new you. I love this picture of the frail little kitty cat looking into the mirror. But the mirror reflects not his outer appearance, but the lion on the inside. The caption reads, what matters most is how we see ourselves. Your friends and your relatives might see you as a kitty cat. Or probably like an old alley cat they used to roam around with. But you need to look into the mirror of God's word. And you need to see yourself on the cross, dead to sin and alive to God. Realize a lion does live in you. A biblical name for Jesus Christ is the lion of the tribe of Judah. See, before coming to Jesus, the great church leader, Augustine, he lived a wicked, rebellious, immoral life. He refused to marry, and he shacked up with a gal named Claudia. She even gave birth to an illegitimate child. Shortly after his conversion to Christ, Augustine bumped into his former mistress on the street. Claudia raced toward him, calling out, Augustine, it is I, it is I. But Augustine started running in the opposite direction, shouting, But it is not I, it is not I. You see, we overcome temptation when we see ourselves in a new light and begin to build a new identity in Christ. Once I was at a bookstore up in Snellville looking for some new jokes. Don't get your hopes up. I didn't find any. (laughs) But as I was browsing the shelves, I glanced at a magazine rack, and I just happened to see a Playboy cover. And for a second there, I sensed the pull of the flesh. The life I once lived was calling out. But that's when I recalled who I was in Christ. And I remember actually thinking, wait, these thoughts are no longer me. I'm a new person in Christ. I'm a child of God. Immediately the temptation vanished and I walked away victorious. But understand, it had zero to do with, zero to do with my resistance or my willpower. Because I considered myself a new creation, I could disown that desire and I could walk away. See, if you reckon yourself dead and alive, you can renounce an ugly urge. You can make a right choice. When temptation raises its ugly head, learn to say, no way, that's not me. And walk away. You should say, no way, not me. Can you say it with me? Ready? No way, not me. Reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to God. Understand, it's hard to live the Christian life if you don't see yourself as a Christian. And this is where many of us fall short. We listen to our doubts and our guilt and our failures rather than listening to God's Word. Romans 8 verse 1 tells us, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
But do you believe that? Do you know that you know? This past week I saw the slogan, become who you are. And I think this speaks to Christians. On the cross, we're made new in Christ, dead to sin and alive to God. Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. But now we need to live like it and think like it, even act and react like it. We need to become who we are. You remember the story of the ugly duckling? He was actually a beautiful swan, but he was bred to be a duck. The other ducks considered him strange and odd and always put him down. He was an ugly duck. Every afternoon, he would look across the lake at the elegant elegant swans on the other shore, and he would wish he was a swan. Until one day, when he got older, the ugly duckling noticed his reflection in the water. And for the first time, he saw himself as he truly was, not an ugly duck after all, but a gorgeous swan. The realization of who he was changed his life. And if you're a Christian, you too are a beautiful swan, not an ugly duck. It's time that you looked into the mirror of Scripture and saw yourself for who you really are. Ephesians 4 verse 22 tells us, Put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you may put on the new man which was created according to God in righteousness and true holiness. You cultivate a new identity by putting off and putting on. Put off those old habits that gratified yourself and put on new habits that glorify God. Some of you know my favorite actor of all time was John Wayne. Once the old Duke made a revealing statement. He said, when I take a role... I play John Wayne regardless of the character I happen to be portraying. And that is exactly how he acted. John Wayne always had the same persona. Dress him up in a Civil War uniform or in World War II fatigues or a cowboy hat on his head. Ship him off to the jungles of Vietnam or the beaches of Normandy or put him on the street in El Dorado calling John Elder or Jacob McCandles or Rooster Cogburn. It didn't matter because John Wayne always played John Wayne. He lived the same life, the same, he expressed the same character, and he communicated the same image. He knew who he was. And this is how Paul tells us we should live our lives. That no matter where we're at or what we're doing or who we're with, we need to reckon ourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God. We need to see ourselves in Christ and then live like it. You, my friend, are dead and alive. But you need to know it. And you need to believe it. And you need to certainly rejoice in it. And when you do, you'll show the world what it's missing.